Dean Minsdale is returning for Fringe World in 2023 with their show Life's a Drag. The last year has seen the performer travel around the world. All sorts of new achievements. It's a long time since we caught up, so I'm so excited <laughs> that we get to meet. Normally I would say on this podcast on the line, but you're face-to-face I here. I know. You know, we're back doing things face-to-face. It's very weird, isn't it? We had quite a few years of not. <laughs> I've got to say, I've quite liked being at home. I'm, I'm just. Oh, know. look, I, you know, when I'm not on stage, I work from home. You know, I've got the home office set up. So I was very used to being at home. Um, I was fine just floating in the backyard in my little blow up pool and <laughs> getting on with life as best I could. <laughs> Life's a drag. Now, yeah. this show's been around for a few years, but mm. my understanding is that it's completely different now to mm-hmm. when it first started. How yeah. has it, it changed? And, and what is it today? So, yeah, this is the third year running the show. And every year the show kind of is a brand new show, a brand new series of stories and songs. Um, and this year's show, um, we open with kind of like a flashback of 2022 and all the crazy things that happened. And then we kind of throw that out the window and we really rewind backwards. Um, this show is probably the furthest or the deepest I've kind of looked into my beginnings and um, I talk quite deeply about my relationship with my grandmother, um, which is quite a personal one. And, um, you know, there's all the stuff you expect to, you know, the Priscilla stuff and the Adele stuff. But even though I've talked about Adele many, many times before, this time I kind of go into a lot more detail and what actually happened after and where it led me and how things kind of <laughs> escalated very quickly. So for people who are not familiar with, you know, your mm. life, you, mm-hmm. you went along to Adele's concert mm. in Perth yeah. and... She picked you out of the crowd. Yeah. So um, the story goes, she was, you know, announced that she was doing this Australian tour. And I had only been really kind of doing Adele in my act for a year or two as part of my Divas show. And it kind of came about because everyone said, you should do Adele. You kind of look a bit like her. And which is just, I always said, a kind way of calling me a fat drag queen. (laughs) Um, So I started doing Adele and it just kind of became a thing. And then everyone's like, oh my God, you have to go to the concert dressed as her. So uh, I went with my flatmate. We bought the most expensive ticket you could buy. We, you know, nose against the stage and went dressed as her. And as the story goes, she kind of noticed me quite early on and gave me a little wink and a wave. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then later on in the show, she kind of yanked me out of the crowd and up I, a security guard literally pulled me up under the stage and off I went in front of, was it 60,000 people or something? Was that like, it was and, a lot. And that footage went around the world. Around the world. <laughs> kind of publicity you can't pay for. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, we, we live in this world now where um, people try to go viral and it be you know going viral is part of the success sometimes of a campaign um and when it happens naturally like that or by accident it's an absolute whirlwind and to experience that um it's still a very pinch me moment yeah it was it was a wild week or so where i was just on every news channel in the world basically now adele's gone through a transformation mm. But so have you. Yeah, I lost weight first. (laughs) (laughs) I did. uh, In December 2019, I had gastric sleeve surgery um, and have since gone on to lose 50 kilos. And I just had my three-year anniversary and I've maintained my current weight for a year and a half or so. I, I've literally just come from the gym, so I've become a gym junkie. I've got a personal trainer. I, yeah, completely kind of changed my entire lifestyle, really. It's it's a big transformation mm. to go through. And I, I know mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about this because yeah. I know a lot of people think about it and a lot of people mm. consider it and, you know, a lot of people struggle with weight. Mm-hmm. And what for you was 
you know, made you take that step and say, okay, this is what, yeah, this is what I, I do? Yeah, there, there was two catalysts, really. Um, the first was after the Adele stuff happened, my career kind of skyrocketed rocketed, and that's how I got cast in We Will Rock You, the musical. Um, and all of a sudden I was the star of a show at the, um, His Majesty's Theatre alongside the Murphy Brothers and Normie Rowe and all this sort of stuff. And my dad came to see the show. And my dad, I always joke, I never had a stage mother, I had a stage father. And he came to see the show and was like... We went out for dinner to Chinatown after the show, good old Billy Lee's. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, you're not going to keep, you're not going to be able to do this at your current size forever. Like, he obviously saw that this career was going somewhere. Yeah. And he's like, you need to get this in check. And I was kind of like, oh, shit. And, you know, he's probably the only one that could have said that to me without saying, go get effed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, and then funnily enough, not long after that, I injured my ankle quite bad for the second or third time. It was this ongoing injury. And again, obviously, my weight was a huge factor in that. Um, so, yeah, I... um went and had a consult with a surgeon and I spent 12 months kind of thinking about it and making small changes and doing as much research as I possibly could before I went to have the surgery. So it wasn't just a a spur of the moment decision. Um, And even up until the day of the surgery, I was like, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to do this? But, um, you know, three years on, absolutely no regrets. And it really has changed my life. And it has allowed you to, you know, make the most of your career Mm. and that sort of tipping point where things are taking off. You've you've travelled around the world. You went to Edinburgh Fringe. (laughs) What was that experience like? Oh, my God. I always say, um, you know, up until doing Edinburgh Fringe, I would always say working in music theatre was the hardest I'd ever worked as a performer, but uh, Edinburgh has since taken that crown. I did 27 shows in 30 days. um, And yeah, you're on the other side of the world really without your support network. I was lucky I had my best friend Geneva there who came um, to do a bit of networking and be my support network, I guess. And the two of us had a great time. But um, yeah, you, you... it was, yeah, I was on the other side of the world by myself doing my show every night and kind of laser focused. There wasn't a whole, I didn't do any sightseeing when I was in Edinburgh. I saved that for after Edinburgh. I went back to London and spent a week watching West End shows and did all that touristy stuff. But while I was in Edinburgh, it was just show, sleep, show, sleep, show, sleep, network. And it's very it was- different when you step into a different region because mm. even though you've had that viral mm-hmm. you know, publicity and people might know you from, yeah. from that, you know, you've been performing to local audiences mm. here for such a long time mm-hmm. and they you know there's a fans there's people who <laughs> yeah. support you it's easy being the hometown when hero you, when you go <laughs> overseas like yeah dean who yeah well I, and i made jokes i made plenty of jokes about that in my show where um i talked about you know different things and um winning the best cabaret award at the Perth Fringe and how that kind of led me to Edinburgh and then I ended up in Edinburgh performing in this back room of a pub and, you know, it was quite (laughs) ironic. But honestly, the audiences in Edinburgh showed me so much love Um, and I couldn't have hoped for a better run. You know, I got off the plane going, I might have five people in my audience and I ended up having several sold-out shows and standing ovations and five-star reviews and I just, yeah, I just left feeling so elated. It was unbelievable. It's an intriguing phenomenon of how much we uh, embrace people who are not from where we're from, mm. you know, because they're, yeah. it seems special they're here. Yes, yeah. um, absolutely. But the lockdown period was an interesting one locally for performing arts mm-hmm. and because obviously we, we stopped having touring musicals yeah. and touring performers mm-hmm. and we really had to rely on our homegrown talent in that yeah. period. And and you appeared in, you know, several you know, yeah. big shows. So there, there's, a, there's a backstory to that too. Um, 
not only was I in Priscilla the Musical, but I was also one of the executive producers of the show. And we had been ta- in talks with Crown to do that prior to the pandemic um, because the show had never been done in WA. It was mm. going to be a WA premiere, which it was when we did it. Um, and we, yeah, um, Trevor and Katrina from Platinum Entertainment had already been in talks with them and they'd already brought me on board as kind of their drag mentor and all that sort of stuff. And then when the pandemic hit, everything came to a grinding halt and then obviously the touring shows couldn't come. So that opened more opportunities and that's how We Will Rock You ended up happening at Crown before we got to Priscilla because we'd already done We Will Rock Mm. You. We remounted as opposed to producing a show from scratch. Um, So, yeah, to have those opportunities, like I... I talked about that in Edinburgh and trying to explain to people that the lockdowns in Perth were very different. Like, you know, we were closed off from the rest of the world, but essentially Perth was operating as itself, its own little bubble. And I got to do these amazing musicals and, you know, they, things like that are sometimes a once in a career or once in a lifetime thing. And I got to do two of them back to back in this huge theatre while the rest of the world kind of stood still is just the most bizarre thing. And uh, I'll have those memories and kind of treasure that forever. You're a little bit unique, I guess, in the drag world that mm. you're, you know, have had success as a drag performer, but yeah. also as a DJ yeah. and also now have stepped into um, the musical theatre realm. Mm. Do you think we're kind of limiting, you know, when we look at performers of what they can do, you know, especially in, in the drag space? I think this is going to might sound a little bit controversial, but I think uh, drag performers limit themselves. They fall into this... They want to box themselves in because they've seen something on Drag Race or they've seen something uh, in a movie or, you know, whatever their niche of drag is, where I have always kind of been a bit of an all-rounder because my drag career started because I of DJing. I, up, up until then, I'd never performed in drag. I started DJing in drag and then I added the performance element because I was like, well, I grew up singing and doing music that I can perform. What, why am I wasting this just DJing? So the DJing is what kind of started it all. So I've always been a bit of a multifaceted drag performer. And then once I decided that I was going to start singing live in drag and break out into that fringe cabaret world, this was all pre-Adele stuff as well. I think the fringe thing is what really started the wheels in motion Mm. for all of it because that first show I did um I only did a two or three night run in this tiny little venue I think it was 70 or 80 seats I did two or three nights sold it out had never done a live singing drag cabaret show and I was like oh maybe maybe there's something to this and just I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to start singing in drag all the time. And 99% of my shows now are all live vocals. I very rarely lip sync anymore. And um, if you think back to like, you know, a decade ago, mm. I can think of times when you have sung live mm. in in just, you know, in connections. Yeah, yeah, And And people around me have been like, they're doing what? Yeah. Like, I, so pro- it seemed I, like... It, it's like, yeah. you know, you the first time into an alien would uh-huh. have been more believable The first time I vocals. sung live in drag um, in Perth was at Club West. And... Even then, so people like, did you just sing live? And I was like, yeah, is that not okay? Like, there, there definitely was some kickback from people saying, drag queens don't sing live. I was like, well, they some do. There's not many yeah. of them. But, like, my, I, you know, I don't officially have a drag mother, but the first person to ever put me in drag was Trevor Ashley. And that's what Trevor is famous mm. for, for being a live singing drag queen. And I used to watch their shows on Sto- uh, at Stonewall for years before I moved to Perth. Um, and I, so I grew up watching the live singing drag and 
yeah, it's just, it's kind of, I love it. It adds another element to it all. We're talking about many transformations in your life in mm. recent, recent years. <laughs> um, you made Twyla Tharp in her book, The Creative Habit, the choreographer, she talks about creative processes. And yeah. she, she talks about the importance of artists naming themselves mm. and the power of creating mm-hmm. a persona outside of yourself. Yeah. So, you know, Amadeus or, yeah. you know. And then I guess on the other side, we have performers who are... Uh, you know, John Johnny Cougar, you know, fought for years to say, no, my name's John Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, you know, Diesel once put out an, art, an album as Mark Lazotte. Yeah, didn't yeah, work. Yeah, um, yeah. But people trying to actually reclaim their identity. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your decision to just be Dean Misdale. Yeah. And um, to drop your drag name. Yeah. Well, there's a few reasons. Uh, the first one was when I started doing the music theatre stuff. Uh, the media started to get a little bit funky about, well, are we billing you as Dean Misdale? Are we billing you as Feminem? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not performing as Feminem. I'm performing as Killer Queen in We Will Rock You. So that... Well, and it, then, it's kind of strange when you do have that. When you I have- know. And even on the posters for the show, it was starring Feminem, a.k.a. or Dean Misdale, a.k.a. Feminem, and it just became this big, long-winded thing. And then that was also meant I was managing two social media profiles and it just got a lot. So slowly over time, I started to phase out the Feminem thing. And then Feminem was only, it only came about as my DJ name. Mm-hmm. It was DJ Feminem. And then it just kind of, I just kind of kept it when I started performing in drag. So Feminem was not a name I ever really thought about performing under as a character. It was just the name I was using when I was DJing and everyone knew me by that. So I just kept it. And then... As I started to phase out Feminem and had my own, you know, personal discovery of weight loss and gender and everything else, um, I was like, you know what, I don't need this because I've never felt when I'm in drag that I'm performing a character. It was always just kind of a a heightened version of me or me in a slightly more fabulous outfit than normal or whatever. So I never... I never had any real attachment to a drag name, if that makes sense. Did it empower you to be a different personality? No, not at all. I maybe I'm a little bit too egotistical, uh, <laughs> but no, it was it was always just me. You did record a song once about the word ego. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did. It's a banger. <laughs> the, um, do you know why I found really shocking about that song? Is I didn't know it was a Skyhook song until much much later. How did you, oh my god! I knew all the other Skyhook songs. I just didn't it, know well, that one. It, when I recorded it, it was either that or horror movie. Um, my dad is a huge music lover and loved the Skyhawks and um, I loved horror movie as a kid there's something about the intro of that song the wind up into it but then I think at the time I was like no ego better suits what I'm doing as a DJ and a performer Um, and the way we reproduced it into like almost like a David Guetta-esque kind of (laughs) club track very of the time 2010 um can always be remixed. For yeah, the, of course, it can be remixed a hundred different ways. Yes, so it all kind of fitted with what I was doing at the time. Um, but I've actually just recorded some, another cover, which uh, I did just before Christmas with the same producer that I did Ego with. So that will be coming sometime soon. Um, but yeah, I can you give us any any hints on it's what it is? disco. Okay, that really narrows it down. <laughs> it might, depending if the track's ready or not, it could potentially be the finale in my show. So Could we will see we'll if see. it's ready on time. <laughs> the tell me about your journey with gender. You yeah. identify now as non-binary. Mm. Is that something you always felt, or something you've discovered along the way? 
It's def- uh, gender is something I've definitely questioned a lot along the way. Um, and growing up, there was zero conversation about gender, mm-hmm. let alone sexuality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I grew up in the 90s and I'd, when, I, when I did change my pronouns and come out and do all that sort of stuff, the post I put up, I spoke about that because growing up, I don't remember my family or my you know, kids at school, I don't remember anyone ever teasing me for being gay. It was always for being a girl. Stop acting like a girl. You're too feminine, this, that, and the other. And, you know, when you reflect on that, hindsight's a bit of a funny thing. You're like, wow, that was just like, yeah. So you question that. And then I, I, you know, some of my closest drag friends, you know, of all questioned gender at one point or another and mm-hmm. thought, and I was like, no, transitioning's not for me. That's That's definitely not what this is. And then as the years went by and the I didn't even really know non-binary terms until probably five, six years ago. Again, and I've lived in this world of gender diverse people since I was a teenager and never really heard of it or had that conversation. And as that conversation started to happen, I was like, oh, this is where I've always felt that in-betweener. And um, even when I haven't, you know, when I'm not in drag, depending on my mood, you know, sometimes I will be rocking an outfit that you would never see walk down the street. But I'm like, I want to wear that. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to wear that unapologetically and not feel like I'm appeasing other people. Um, so it really had a lot to do with me just wanting to say I am me, regardless of what I'm wearing, what I'm doing, who I might look like. It's not. It's, it's such an interesting topic because yeah. it's it's about, you know... Discrimination away, the, mm. the, the projecting, you know, people's the, the, saying you, you're being too girly. Yeah, um, but also it's a lot of projection. Confidence to to, to be yourself, yeah. and also finding the language. You know, I think mm-hmm. we've only recently discovered the right words and have a space where we feel comfortable talking about this. There, I can't. There's, I learn something every day, and like I said, I live in this world of the queer community and gender diverse people surrounded by them, and um, still, someone will say something, and I'm like, what? And it it still blows my mind. And that's it. It's uh, Language is currently or constantly evolving mm-hmm. as humans and as a society, you know, just... There's such a focus on blows the, words, my mind the words we're when, embracing, yeah. but no one ever talks about the words we've discarded. Yeah, you know, that, absolutely. That we had words in this space always, I guess, but yeah. there's also mm-hmm. become more nuanced and we become Yeah, more and I just think... Um, people are having more conversations about it where I feel like years ago, stuff like this was just swept under the rug. It was just like, if it was even breathed dimension of something like this, it would just be like next. It would never be given the space it deserved. Your fringe world is next on your agenda, but mm-hmm. after that, you're heading to New Zealand. Oh my God. <laughs> so uh, after, The roller coaster is leaving. Yeah, after Perth Fringe ends, I have a few days here in Perth, and then I'm heading to World Pride for a week to catch the final week of that. And then I go straight from Sydney to New Zealand to perform at Wellington Fringe for a week. And then I go straight from Wellington Fringe to Adelaide Fringe. So between mid-Feb, mid-January to mid-March, it's... Perth Fringe, World Pride, Wellington Fringe. The Grand Adelaide Tour fringe. of Fringes. It's yeah, I feel a bit like that. So I'm on this fringe roller coaster. <laughs> I was just saying uh, before we started chatting, mm. um, how much I love your publicity photos for <laughs> Life's a Drag. Yeah. You are hanging out in the giant shoe from Priscilla, Priscilla yes. the Queen of the Desert. Uh-huh. 
how did that these photos come about? Because they look they look yeah. like you're just having the time of your life yeah. <laughs> in a warehouse. Um, the shoe actually came from. Uh, it was either Maya or David Jones, one of their old displays, and we managed to get our hands on it for Priscilla and, you know, obviously in the show it's on top of the bus. And uh, I contacted the producers of the show and I said, hey, I want to use the shoe for a photo shoot for Fringe. And they're like, yep, no worries, it's in the warehouse, come on over, do whatever you want. And uh, I took uh, Ezra out there. Ezra's a local photographer who photographs a lot of drag here in Perth and on the scene. And uh, we got up out in the warehouse and we set up a backdrop and it just wasn't working. We we couldn't get the angle right or we couldn't get the lighting right and it was too up close and we wanted a wider shot to kind of get the whole shoe in and everything. So we just kind of took it all down and just shot with the raw warehouse behind us. And when we got the photos back, I was like, oh, that actually kind of looks cool. And then gave it to my graphic designer to do the artwork for the poster. And she was like, oh, no, we're keeping it. Like, we can use yeah. this. And, yeah, everybody seems to just love it. So it is. It's a little bit fun and silly and raw, but still highly glamorous. Do you ever wonder where the other shoe is? There is two of them, believe it or not. <laughs> but I think they're both right feet. <laughs> there is two. Maybe there's two left shoes out there in no, the there world was, somewhere. There's, there's one on one is on wheels, so it can be moved around, and then one was stationary on top of the bus. So there is two of them. <laughs> the uh, we, we don't see a lot of drag on roller skates, but, you know, could be a future. I mean, we're seeing drag on ice skates at the moment in the UK. The Vivian from UK Drag Race is doing Dancing on Ice. Um, and then there was a queen on the US version who's an ice skate. So, yeah, roller skating in drag. Mm, I, I Just scream Xanadu. I haven't roller skated for <laughs> decades. <laughs> Way too long. Dean, thank you so much for coming to chat to us My today. Pleasure. And look forward to uh, a crazy fringe season. It is the craziest time of year, and um, I embrace it. <laughs>